Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Diagnosing and Treating Dementia, Current Best Practices. This podcast is exited from a webinar presented live on July 30, 2019. In this podcast, we will hear from Anne Cheslaw, a caregiver. She shares her personal experience in caring for a family member with dementia and shares valuable insights and tips that she has learned throughout her experience. Hello, I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to speak with you today. Um, You're the people on the front line who offer families like mine compassion and guidance in navigating the dementia path with someone we love. As providers, you know how emotionally complicated and intensely personal our journeys are and recognize, often way before we do, that we will be called to muster up our resilience, have all kinds of faith in ourselves, and whenever possible, we'll need to manage to keep a song in our hearts. So it's my hope that in the next 10 minutes as I share my mother's story, I can concurrently offer you a few insights that might prove helpful as you work to make things easier for people like me. Slide, please. My brother, sister, and I were really lucky kids. We grew up in a home that was always filled with my father's teaching us about patience and the reach of history and my mother's sweetness and song. My earliest memories are of her singing, I'm a little teapot, puff the magic dragon, take me out to the ball game. These were all parts of her happy repertoire. When we were young, our parents joined the Department of State's Foreign Service. We traveled the world, changing countries and cultures every two to three years. As you can imagine, the transitions between posts required tremendous adaptability, and while exciting, these could also be daunting. Dad had headed U.S. diplomatic missions. Mom was deeply entrenched in communities where she did purposeful volunteer work. For caring for lepers, in the high hills of Malaysia, to offering family planning support to the poorest of the poor in Bangladesh, to hosting heads of state across the globe, mom's warmth and energy were her trademarks. I remember how proud I felt when I heard from one country's president that parties do not start without your mother. Midway through their career, mom returned to Washington on home leave. She was in her later 50s, and I noticed that she was repeating ideas a lot. She'd pose questions about things she'd experienced overseas. Have you seen an Orang Osley lately, Anne, she'd ask, referring to indigenous people in Asia as an example. She'd misplace things, and to cover her embarrassment, she'd say she'd actually forgotten. She'd actually put them away for safekeeping. I was concerned and took her to a doctor. He ran some tests, and after talking with mom for a short while, assured me that while she was very healthy, she was exhibiting signs of repetitive aphasia. I had no idea what that clinical label meant. All I cared about was that she was not ill. I hadn't a clue what to ask him, and the internist did not offer or volunteer anything edifying. Over a decade later, mom and dad completed their their overseas tours of duty. Now stateside and with us kids watching, we noticed that mom could not remember how to make her legendary American apple pie. Setting the table and flower arranging, part of her well-honed diplomatic training, eluded her. She withdrew from vigorous conversation. Reading, a forever passion, no longer captivated her. Yet, 
clear as a bell and holding one of our hands, she spelt out, Que sera, sera. You all know the refrain, whatever will be, will be. None of us kids realized what significance those lyrics were starting to have in our lives. While in their 90s, our father and mother's beloved husband for just short of 71 years died, we kids recognized that Dad had actually been compensating for her in myriad ways. He kept their social calendar, finished her sentences, and prompted her through more daily tasks than we'd realized. Without Dad, Mom became very confused. We three kids hadn't a clue what to anticipate in the short term or what to do in the long run as Mom's grief at the loss of Dad intensified. Mom was also now very socially isolated. We talked about bringing her to live with one of us, but we each were working. We moved her to a nearby assisted living facility where we hoped she'd find some kind of joy again. But that didn't happen. It became clear that this was now the most foreign place she'd ever lived. In this new territory, we watched Mom circulate from table to table to try to facilitate friendships, but some of the residents were less than kind. This was deeply, deeply painful for me. I felt I could not protect her, and I also felt very guilty about not having moved her in to live with me. At that time, I'd heard about a special geriatrician at UCLA nearby who was known for her expertise in dementia care, and I took Mom to meet Dr. Grace Chen. Before Dr. Chen met Mom, she asked me what Mom loved to do. You can guess my first response. When Dr. Chen introduced herself and asked Mom how she was feeling, Mom looked at her and sang, You are my sunshine. And instead of being dismissive or shying away from this moment, Dr. Chen joined Mom in the next line of the song, You make me happy when skies are gray. Over the course of the next year and while Mom was receiving superior medical care, I was really struggling with her increasingly identifiable dementia. I was scared by her occasional outbursts regarding her desire not to live. She would tell me that she had no purpose. I felt hopeless and inept. I thought if I spent more time with her that maybe I could both control her safety and slow down her demise. I became what some would call a helicopter parent to my mom as she was becoming an adult child. And at that point, Dr. Chen made it clear that while it was important to diagnose a patient with dementia, it was equally important for her to provide us kids, and yes, especially me, with a kind of treatment plan as we coped as a family unit with how to be there for mom, wherever that was in any moment. We joined UCLA's Alzheimer's and Dementia Care Program that provided a patient and family-centric culture of care. You've just heard about that. Michelle Kim, Mihe Kim became our assigned nurse practitioner and care manager, and we did have that initial consultation Michelle talked about a few minutes ago. Mihe also extended our education on Alzheimer's in ways that complemented our immersive experience. As importantly, she knew she had to get us three kids on the same page about caring for mom. To that end, she helped us establish differentiated roles. My sister, in addition to visiting mom, took on all the bill paying and legal side of things. I took on the primary medical liaison responsibilities, and because I was now retired, spent a lot of time with mom daily. My brother, who lived in London, would fly in when he could 
and also served as a long-distance negotiator when issues needed mediating. As mom's disease progressed, my dis-ease became more obvious. My struggle about our family's impending second loss heightened, and the anticipation of losing another patient was anguishing. I hadn't even had time to mourn the loss of dad. Thankfully, the ADC program directed me to a community support group right near my home and also provided vouchers allowing me free access to a therapist in whom I could confide. I cannot overstate the immense relief and perspective that these resources offered me. There came a time when we needed to move mom to the Alzheimer's wing in the facility. There, she was encouraged to sing freely, dance, grow flowers on their terrace garden, and even set tables in the small dining room. <laughs> Mistakes didn't count. She could hold and talk to the resident cat or a life-size baby doll. But after about six months, and although her eyes lit up whenever we were with her, she stopped wanting to speak or eat or participate in almost anything. Dr. Chen and Mihei encouraged us to bring in hospice. And because they knew mom so well, they pointed us to a provider that had a singer-guitarist come play with to her as she slowly slipped off to that silvery, silvery moon place she previously sung about. I cannot explain how quiet things got for me without mom's song, but the remarkable geriatrics and ADC teams would check in. Their notes and calls, and yes, they're reminding me of mom's voice, provided a continuity of caring, something every family member wishes for, I'm certain. I learned so much from this journey with Mom, and I offer my five top lessons to you in case you want to share these with others. Slide, please. Slide, please. One, encourage family members, especially those with a genetic disposition to Alzheimer's, to work with a geriatrician sooner rather than later. Help them select a practitioner who is also a teacher and one who values a patient's individual life narrative as part of his or her wellness. Two, understand that caregivers don't have time to seek out community resources and educational tools to help them learn. Direct them to these, please. Online videos and podcasts rather than reading materials are ideal. There need to be so many more. Slide, please. Remind family members that this disease is not linear. As Dr. Rubin said, this disease is relentless and progressive. Let them know that their frequency in showing up at living facilities, nursing homes, and in hospitals often correlates with, or often correlates with the improvement and increase in personalized care their loved one gets. Being seen as actively advocating and present gets noticed by hospitals and facility staff members. Four, assure family members that self-care is critical as they cope with their own predictable senses of isolation, inadequacy, fear and anxiety about the future. And finally, slide please, urge caregivers to remember to sing regardless of how off-key they may be. Again, and on behalf of those who are, are or have been on this long journey with a family member, Thank you for all that you do to help us find rainbows on even the foggiest of days. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare and Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care 
that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.